Okay, good morning, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the Women in Confidence podcast. Welcome back if you're a regular listener, and just welcome generally if you're new here. So take a look around all the episodes and find something that interests you, and thanks very much for listening in. So today my guest uh, is on a mission to inspire women to embrace their authentic selves and live life to their fullest. So Noor Jahan Torte is a woman of resilience and determination. And in 2022, she unexpectedly made it to, through to the semi-finals of the Sports Illustrated Swim Search competition. However, this experience has made her realise that her true calling is not just a cover model, but also a role model. So Noor Jahan family believes in empowering women to showcase every side of themselves unapologetically and from every angle. So I'm really thrilled to have her here. She's currently the, she holds the position of group senior vice president brand strategist at the healthcare advertising agency area 23, but she's also had experience with Pfizer and a healthcare consultant at PricewaterhouseCooper. She has an MBA from Columbia University and as also an MPH, which I'm not really sure what that is, but we'll find out from UCLA. So Noor Jahan, really, really delighted to have you on the show today. So thanks for joining me. Thank you, Vanessa. Thanks for having me. And thank you for that lovely intro. I should have asked you actually when we were just doing the warm up, what's an MPH? MPH is a Master's of Public Health. Oh, wow. So, so you're really qualified in many, many areas. <laughs> Thank you. It's it really qualified in healthcare. I think, um, yeah, so I started my career, my college goal was to become a physician. So I was pre-med. That did not work out. So I enrolled in public health school. And that's how I got the master's in public health. And after that, got into healthcare consulting, followed by my MBA, and then into the world of pharma. Cool. Well, before we jump into your career, could you answer this question for me? What does having confidence mean to you? I have listened to your prior episode, so I know that that is your question. And I thought about that a lot. And uh, my answer kept changing <laughs> every time I'd listen to one of your episodes. Um, and then I was listening to a podcast and something struck me as um, what, I've, what I'm feeling in the moment of what confidence means to me. Confidence means learning the difference between detachment and indifference. And indifference means you don't care. Detachment doesn't mean you don't care, but you recognize that things don't owe you anything, that you owe them nothing. And this idea that you can share your work, you can share your thoughts with the world, and you can do it courageously because you're detached from them. And I think that's what confidence means, that I might be wrong or I might not be the best at something. Right, it's like detachment, you know, it doesn't mean that you own nothing. It means nothing owns you, right? I think, and, and I cannot take credit for that at all. I was listening to a podcast and it was actually Jay Shetty who was sharing this thought. And I really liked that because I'm going through that right now where I have, you know, written a script, a screenplay. I've rewritten it 17 times and I'm scared to put it back out in the world because I've grown so attached to it that I'm scared of the rejection. And that's why confidence to me, I'm trying to tell myself it means detachment, not indifference. I do, I still care, but um, I can't have that script own me. Otherwise it's never gonna go out in the world. I'm never gonna get a chance to even see if it has legs, if I'm too scared to share it with folks. So I have to detach a little. 
And I think that is why at this point in my life, that's what confidence means to me. So screenwriting, I didn't, I wasn't aware of that. It was amazing. And now you've hooked me in to find out more. So are you allowed to tell me what it's about? Where's the concept come from? And you know, what's the next step for you? Where do, where do you get it out into the world? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I love talking about screenwriting. I the the script is a biopic based on my grandfather's life, and my grandfather was a uh, legendary music composer in India. And in India and Bollywood films, if you're familiar with them, Vanessa, they all are musicals, right? So the hero and heroine they sing and their song and dance numbers, but there's also such a heavy emphasis placed on the background scores and the background music. So he was. Um, one of many composers responsible for creating that music, the background scores and the songs. And he was a legend, but his life story is so interesting and so dynamic and how he went from sleeping on the streets of Bombay homeless to becoming an overnight sensation. Um, and his career spanned 60 to 70 years in India. And we were very close. He trained me in Indian classical music to sing. And um, we just had a very special bond. So the script is a is a biopic, but it's also my homage to the relationship between a grandfather and his granddaughter and how his life from the 1930s and 40s could parallel the life of a, you know, American born Indian girl in contemporary America. And how are you going to get that out to the world so that people can see it? I, don't, I, don't, I genuinely don't know the process. I'm yeah, it's, it's, you have to start pitching it, right? You got to meet potential producers, potential financiers and pitch your script to them and sell it and make them believe in it and make them believe. I think the most important thing is making, you know, someone, I, I'm just picking like from the Midwest who might be a producer sitting in LA, but he grew up in Idaho. I have to make him feel that this story about an Indian Muslim man in, in, you know, or a Muslim man in India is relatable to him. And if he feels like he can relate to it, then that will make him think, oh, an audience can relate to this. So that's where the pitching comes in and going and telling them, you know, this is what the vision is for the story. This is what the budget would be, what budget we would need for the script. And, and I hope that people sign on and want to want to support it, want to finance it and then find talent, meaning actors and directors to attach to it. Yes. So just all all that sort of writing a script, figuring out how to get it out in the world, what skills has it really highlighted that you've, or what skills have you drawn on to be able to do some of that? That's a great question. I always like to think that every decision I've made career-wise or hobby-wise, I can stay up at night and figure out how they all connect, right? Like nothing is random, even though it feels like, okay, she's in healthcare now, she's screenwriting, she went to Sports Illustrated search competition. When I actually analyze it, it doesn't feel random. It all feels like I'm pulling from the skill sets that I've gotten and that's what allowed me to do the next thing. So for screenwriting, for example, you know, I, I grew up in corporate America. So as a consultant, you learn very quickly. I know this, this is very rudimentary. I mean, not rudimentary. It's very didactic, but you learn very quickly how to build presentations, right? You learn. So, you know, right out of college, you're learning how best to use Microsoft Office and PowerPoint tools and how to tell a story using PowerPoint. So I got trained in that vocational skill. Then I went into the world of Pfizer and Pfizer marketing. I was a brand marketer and essentially brand marketers are 
business managers, but your most important role is when you have to present your brand plan, which is what are your goals for that brand for the following year? You have to tell a story. So when I was at Pfizer, I was trained into storytelling through a PowerPoint deck and little things, right? Like how the headline of a slide is your most important real estate and how you have to, if you could strip everything away from the body of the slide and a person is just reading your headlines, do they understand your story? So I took that with me and then I got into advertising and in advertising, when an RFP goes out to win a potential client's business, we pitch, we are out there putting on a live storytelling show and pitching for that business. We're telling a story. We're trying to find, make an emotional connection to the brand and to our potential clients. And we are selling ourselves essentially and our skills. So you can imagine how I've just taken all of those learnings across these three phases of my career. And I apply all of it to how I pitch those screenplays when I'm out in front of these producers or financiers. And I had to stop myself a couple years into pitching screenplays from saying, I'm not a real screenwriter. I, I you know, I, I only went to night school for screenwriting. I, you know, I didn't grow up in this world of Hollywood. I had to stop myself and, and really own it. I am a screenwriter. Am I a screenwriter with credits yet? No, but I am a screenwriter. And so, and I'm very confident in the skills I learned from my corporate career and I will pitch with the best of them or hopefully better than the best of them. That piece where you said, I'm, um, I'm now a screenwriter and previously you, you were almost apologizing for not being yeah. a screenwriter. Yeah. Was that something you were really consciously aware of coming out of your mouth or did somebody tap you on the shoulder and say, no, Jahan, look, come on, you know, you actually are a screenwriter. You're here, you're pitching. It was, um, I think it started dawning on me that I was apologizing for it, that I'm not, I'm not a real screenwriter. Um, when I was in those pitches and I'll never forget, I was going to an event with a very good friend of mine and she's a publicist, a fantastic, very successful publicist who's also happens to just be the ultimate girl's girl, woman's woman. And she said to me, okay, we're going to this event. There'll be a lot of people to me. How do you want me to introduce you? And yeah, I said, you know, Noor Jahan Tort. She said, no, I know that you're writing a screenplay. I also know that you're in advertising. So what do you, what do you want me to lead with? That's when I said, well, I'm not like a real screenwriter. And, and she, and I, it came out of my mouth and she stopped me and she said, you've got to stop saying that. So I think we are going to lead with telling folks you are a screenwriter and you also are in advertising. And that's where it's going to pique people's interest in potentially listening to you about your script. So, um, that's though I, I lots of credit to that friend of mine. So I gave a brief introduction to you, but how would you now, based on all your experience yeah. and your learnings, how would you describe yourself? It's interesting, right? In that in that intro, I didn't even put screenwriter. Uh, we didn't even mention that. Um, I I truly believe, and I think there was part of that um, in what I had you know talked to you about or sent into you. I'd like to think of myself as a storyteller. Right. And that's why I'm here with you. Um, my experiences and wanting to share them and, and telling that story. And I think there, that's the thread that goes through all of these, you know, things I pursue that might seem so disparate. Uh, but it allows me to tell stories. And that's, and that umbrella feels like it can, it allows for me to not have to sacrifice or make trade offs between, am I an advertising executive or am I a, you know, Sports Illustrated, Swim Search, Hopeful, or am I a screenwriter? 
I'm a storyteller. Beautiful. Love that. And I think it's really important that as as female or women who are listening, I do have a couple of men who listen to this, but you know, generally the audience is is women, is that you do really think about who you are and you're not just a label. Yeah. So you, you might, you know, you might not be just the VP of something, some organization or the head of this, that and the other. There's much more to you. So really think about, you know, who you are and it's more than what you you do in your job title for sure. Absolutely. Let's talk about your background then. And I know this is one of the stories that you told me around Mm -hmm. how you came to be part of the Sports Illustrated world. So you've already mentioned you have an Indian heritage and a Muslim, but that's sort of incongruent with Sports Illustrated or my impression and probably many many people's impression of being um, a Sports Illustrated model. So just tell me about your story and, and how you've managed to bridge the gap between being that the Muslim and perhaps been frowned upon to do Sports Illustrated. So just tell me about that because I think it's an amazing story. Yeah, thank you. Uh, absolutely. Yes, I, I grew up in um, an Indian Muslim family and I was born in Southern California. So I was born in America. I felt like I was trying to live that all American childhood and high school experience. But I also had this really deep culture that was instilled in me by my family and my community, this Indian culture, which I loved and I still love. And then I also had these values and morals that were taught to me and instilled in me by the religious community and the faith that my parents practiced, which was Islam. And Islam and the Indian culture growing up, those weren't always congruous. So a congruent, excuse me. So. I was very confused. There were times where I felt like I wasn't Indian enough for the Indians because a lot of my Indian friends were Hindus and Sikhs. And so there was differences in the religions. Then there were times where I didn't feel Muslim enough for the Muslims because a lot of the Muslim community may have been Arab or Pakistani and I was Indian by culture. And then there were times where I didn't feel American enough. So I think that that journey of continuing to try to find my own identity and do it without guilt, right? Like, and, and um, that shaped a lot of my, when I look back, my core memories, a lot of them are just uh, shrouded with a lot of guilt. Uh, I, I don't want to disappoint my parents or I don't want to disappoint the community or I don't want to um, shortchange my high school experience, um, all of those things. And where Sports Illustrated fits in is I kept that in for so long. I was just mesmerized by this world of Sports Illustrated Swim and growing up in Southern California, the beaches and seeing these beautiful women in their bathing suits and confident, right? Like these confident women. And um, I wanted to f- experience and feel that kind of confidence. And I always kept it a secret that I would just, I used to dream about being in Sports Illustrated because, oh my gosh, if I said that out loud, how much guilt I would carry. So I just kept that inside. And it took until... Um, December of 2020, December of 2021, I had just gotten married the, the that summer and I'm spending Christmas with my husband and my in-laws. My Indian Muslim parents are FaceTiming us and they're so happy and they're so excited for us and they're excited to see my husband and I after Christmas when we were going to go visit them. And I just, and I loved Christmas, but I used to feel guilty for loving Christmas because it was not a Islamic religion, all of those things. And I just had that aha moment where, oh my gosh, like I, I have grown into my identity. I am Noor Jahan. Like this is me. Like this, I, I, I figured it out and 
I'm very happy. There's no more guilt. And, and I'm, I'm balancing this trifecta of um, identities that were given to me. And I'm very content. And that, that evening, I turned to my husband and I said, I have to tell you something. And of course, he thought it was going to be something very, you know, serious. I said, since I was a little girl, I wanted to be a Sports Illustrated swimsuit model. And I think I'm going to try out for it this year. And that's how it started. And that's how I entered the competition. And so the Sports Illustrated, I mean, I've, I've done some research since having first met you. I guess a lot of people just see it as, well, they're confident in their body. You know, they look great. But is it more than that? I Absolutely. And, and I learned that it was more than that, too, when I joined the community of hopefuls when we were all um, entering the open casting call. Um, and the brand itself reinforces it's not just about being being perfect. It's not about being perfect at all. It's not about it is about being confident in your body, but being confident in who you are, your mind, what you bring to the table, your humanity, um, and that humanity comes in all shapes and sizes. And that's what they really reinforce. And I really, I really love that. And ambition, have goals. How are you going to change the world? Even if it's in your own little microcosm, right? It doesn't have to be like this. But I think that's also why I got more excited about doing it. Because if I had gone out for it in my 20s, it would probably have been an act of rebellion, right? And instead now in pursuing it, I feel like it's because it's aligning so much with my goals of just you know, be confident in who you are and, um, don't, don't squander opportunities. Like if you're given an opportunity and that, and that's what that brand continue to reinforce to all of the women and that the editors said, you know, if you're given a platform, do something amazing with it. And amazing doesn't have to mean big Vanessa, right? I think we put so much pressure on ourselves that amazing means that you have to end up with your names in the lights or that you're all this press. No, just, just do something amazing. Even if that means something amazing for one person, but if you have that platform, use it wisely. And I, that's what I love their, their mission. And they promote a lot that goes beyond um, surface level. And so you, are you still connected to the Sports Illustrated community? Because you, you use the word community um, yeah. to describe it. Are you still with that group? Absolutely. And and it's funny, they use the word community. Um, once um, you, the, the, the way they describe their community is called the Swimfluence community, right? And it's, uh, it's open to anyone who is you know, wanting to try out for their open casting call, right? Because they have obviously professional, beautiful seasoned models who shoot for their magazine, but then they do this open casting call where anyone can try out uh, for a chance to be a rookie, a Sports Illustrated rookie. And why I still feel like I am still part of that community, I did try again a second, the next year, um, you know, I, I made it, um, to like the top 40 in 2022. I tried out again in 2023. Um, I probably will try out again, but I've made some of my best friends even beyond the competition. Um, and it, it's pretty amazing. And so in that whole period, so you, you decided to go for it in 2022, you got through to the semifinals. You're going to, you did it again this year. You're going to do it next year. How has your confidence grown in that period of time? And what's changed about you since really hooking into this community of Sports Illustrated? I love that question. Um, it's, I, I feel that this whole experience 
has reaffirmed to me that waiting to even try out for the competition was the right thing to do for me. Because, you know, with every, let's quote unquote, rejection, I don't feel my confidence has wavered. I find a way to channel that into, okay, let's, let's recalibrate. You didn't make it, but take stock of your life. How's your career going? How's your relationship going? How's your script going? How is your health? How is your family's health? And being able to do that exercise mentally gives me even more confidence that, um, not making it or losing quote unquote, because I don't really think it's a, it's like I'm, I've lost isn't um, detrimental to my sense of self. And I do think that if it was so detrimental to my sense of self, then this would never have been the right time for me to do it. So it's kind of a, a positive feedback loop. And I do feel my confidence growing, not just because of the positive feedback loop, but because um, that whole experience in, in I call it now like February 20 of 22 was, was the impetus for me realizing that I'm a storyteller and it's more than just the words I'm writing in a screenplay, going through the interview process, meeting these other women, talking to the editors. I, I really felt like, Oh, I do want to use my voice. I do want to use my platform, like, or create a platform to share my experiences. And I'm not, I don't feel so guarded that I can't talk about my experiences anymore because I'm very comfortable and content with my identity. Uh, before it was, you're a teenager, you're leading a double life. You're trying not to disappoint mom and dad, but you're trying to also be cool and all American. Now it's like, I know who I am. Um, and I can talk about it. And I think it lit a fire under me. So while I may not have advanced in the competition, I'm doing things like this, like with you. So it's it's kind of awesome. So you, I'm just going to go back to something that you talked about very briefly. You said about rejection. And I imagine in that, that world, it, there's probably quite a lot of it. And a lot of judgment, maybe. And, you know, you don't have the right look, you know, what all that. I, I'm only, again, assuming I don't know this world at all. So these are my assumptions. <laughs> But you sound like you've got a very rational and balanced view to rejection. I mean, there must be girls, women who go on these things and they're just devastated. But how how have you managed to get that balance and rational approach to rejection? Because that must also happen in your professional life in terms of pitching and, you know, trying to, you know, advertise. How how do you, this is a really long question. Sorry, I'm not making a lot no, of sense. But no, how, do, you how have you managed to create this rational balanced nor Jahan. I I'm I'm smiling because I was just looking at my my own notes in my phone. Um it goes back to my answer to your first question about what confidence means, right? It's knowing the difference between detachment and indifference. It's not that I don't care. It's that this process doesn't I don't own the Sports Illustrated process and it doesn't own me. Right. I think that's what, what it is. And I think, um, you know, we do, we get, we're, we're in advertising, you get rejected or you get asked off of accounts or something. And, and you just can't take it so personally because if you take it so personally, that's putting a lot of expectations on the rest of the world that you meet all every single billion person, you know, in all the billions of people in this world that you're meeting all of their expectations. And um, that's just not possible. I also, yeah, I think there's a practical component to it. And then there's also this component that, you know, I've always of the belief you have one life 
And I cannot live my one life for one single thing. And I think that the women that I have seen advance through in a competition like Sports Illustrated Search, it's like their lives are so full. There's so much going on in their lives and so much of it is them having found their voice, using their platform even well before they went into the search competition. Um, and it's almost like the search competition becomes a platform where Sports Illustrated is giving them an even bigger platform to do what they're doing. So I think there's that practical component too, that, you know, um, if I'm, if I'm so disheartened or heartbroken and, and this goes the same for like relationships, right? Like, you know, um, if you're so unbelievably, unbelievably heartbroken, then you put all, you put everything into that one, that one relationship. And that can be a scary thing. Maybe it's a little bit of hedging, a little bit of, <laughs> you know, don't put all your eggs in one basket kind of attitude. But um, there's a lot to be excited about, not just one. Yeah. So the, the other thing around the Sports Illustrated community is how competitive is it? Because it's a competition, but how competitive actually is it? Or is it, is it really what I call a true community where you support and build each other? Yeah, that you know, I, I was just um, working with a client today and we were someone had said this phrase that about a strategy that we were putting together for the brand and obviously every brand has competition and one of my clients had said yeah i just want to make sure that when we tell the story what we are saying is that we're not tr we're trying to be competitive and compelling but not comparative and I loved that because there's such a nuance in that. And so he was saying, the way we're going to tell the story, Noor, I want to make sure that they know that we're competitive and compelling, but I don't want them to think we're comparative, meaning that we're not trying to go head to head against the other brands in the market. And I say that to you because I would think that might be the same kind of analogy I would use for this competition. Obviously, everyone is so many of these women, it's been their childhood dream to be a Sports Illustrated swimsuit model or the rookie. And what I mean by that is everyone is just so different that you can't help but think, oh my gosh, like this woman is so different from me. And I have found that people are celebrating that and they're interested in getting to know one another because they're so different. Like two of my closest friends, we could not be, I don't know if the universe would have brought us together in any other world, right? Um, but when we spend time together, we have a shared dream and a shared goal. We are essentially each other's competition, but the dynamic between us is not comparative, hmm. um, right? Every one of us has a compelling reason for wanting to to, to win, but the dynamic one-on-one -on -one doesn't feel comparative. It feels like instead we're exchanging notes and telling, texting each other, hey, the editors just posted X, Y, and Z. Hey, they just asked what you want to do. Like, make sure you jump on the live. The editors, you know, we, we help each other. And I'd like to think that my experience has been that the women I have met have been very genuine and real because there's a little bit of a vulnerability in that you don't always tell the world at almost 40, hey, I want to be a Sports Illustrated swim search model. But suddenly you're amongst women who also have felt like they can't say that to everyone in the world, but they can say that to one another. So it, kind of, it definitely creates a community and a bond where you're not judging each other because you all want that same goal. And maybe in a different group of women, you may have felt judged saying that. 
and also the Sports Illustrated team, the editors, they are very clear, you know, when they created this app for all of us to be on and to post and to support one another, that they would not tolerate any kind of mean girl behavior, any kind of, you know, toxicity. Um, and I kind of love that they were just so outright with it. We're not going to tolerate toxicity there. That's there is no place for that here. And so you can I will say you can see women having to find their way of being kind, right? Like maybe it wasn't second nature to be kind, but on this app platform, you have to find a way to be kind. And mm -hmm. I kind of love that pushing some people outside of their comfort zone who might have un, might have otherwise not been the kind of women who outwardly openly support other women. I'm not saying they're mean. I'm saying that maybe they weren't the type that did that outwardly. Maybe they were more introverted. But on a platform like this, where it's very public, you have to have a voice and that voice has to be supporting other women. Mm. I love that. Many people probably don't even realize that about Sports Illustrated because they'll have seen the magazine and it's like, oh, it's just women in bikinis. But actually there's this really, there's a real um, sense of community and a real... Absolutely. I don't want to say boundaries, but it's actually, it's a, there are some boundaries as to if you're in this group, this is how we want you to be. And it's about spreading your word and being kind. I think it's such an important message. So using, you said about Sports Illustrated, giving people pl a platform to go on and do whatever, you know, they don't have to be amazing. They don't have to be big, but they, you know, it gives you a platform. What's your What's your, I guess, having been on this and going back on to sports or trying for Sports Illustrated next year, what's the springboard? Where? What's your next step? For me, it's the storytelling. And, and what I love too is if, like the woman who won the year that I had um, made it to semifinals in 2022, she's just this phenomenal woman in tech. It's not that she gave up her career, a great career that she's had in the tech industry. It's not that suddenly she's no longer in the tech industry and she's now Sports Illustrated supermodel full time. She's doing it all. Right. And I love that. Like there's not this like expectation that, okay, now you are going to go and become a full time model. She's with the brand she's doing amazing things but then she's also like she created this amazing app um all about promoting social positivity and removing toxicity and the ability to be toxic on these social apps that was her intent of her entire app and now she's in the tech world and and she's doing so great and i love that because it makes a lot of us feel that um you don't have to choose between you know you're not you know it's not that you don't have a chance at that just because you're in corporate you shouldn't have to apologize you're if you're in corporate america you're in corporate america um and you can still pursue this but for me it's about storytelling i think that i you know i pitch my scripts i, I pitch uh, during um you know for for my career as an advertising executive but when I was interviewing and I was telling the story of like why I wanted to do this, uh, the editor in chief, MJ Day, when she said, she's like, you have to be a storyteller. I, I hope you go and be a storyteller. And I think those words just kind of rang true um, and just stayed with me for a long time. So I hope that it's a platform to continue speaking to women, connecting, writing, public speaking, being on podcasts like this with you, Vanessa, continuing scripted stories. I love writing, you know, screenplays, but also like television. I've written a lot of pilots of, of TV shows, like based on my experiences, like in business school or, you know, based on growing up. And um, um, so I just, I just hope I can, I can keep doing that. Where do you find all the time? I was just listening to you <laughs> saying, you know, I'm like, oh my gosh, <laughs> where do you find the time? 
You know, I, I really, I, when I say it out loud, I'm like, I don't know where I find the time, but I, I think I, it's, it's, it's not trite because it's so true. Like just giving yourself 30 minutes of focus time on, 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 on things does make a difference and it does add up. Right. Like, and the best way to, the best way to exemplify that is a book, right? If you read for 30 minutes a day and that you actually sit back and think how quickly you can finish a book, if you read for 30 minutes a day, I think that's a great tangible reminder of if I write for 30 minutes a day, Sometimes I take a step back and go, oh my gosh, if 30 minutes a day means I've written one scene, okay, so one scene with like one page, a script is 120 pages, so it's 120 days, okay, four months, so if I finish a script in four months, I mean, that's how my mind sometimes works, like, I never shortchange I, I, I try to give myself grace and give myself credit that all these things I'm pursuing, if I dedicate 30 minutes a day to it before my, you know, work day starts and after then I am making progress. Um, and I think that's so that's how I Are you that's one I, of these people who gets up at five o'clock in the morning and uh, you know, smashes out, you know, three hours of work and does a workout and <laughs> done all that. I honestly, I used to be that way. I used to be that person that would wake up at five in, in the morning and, and um, try to do a ton of it before the workday started. Um, as I've gotten older, I have really tried to live this truth that, you know, I can wake up at six or I can wake up at seven and get a good night's rest, prioritize some self-care. And like I said, I used to be able to write, I would write two hours in the morning before work. But if I just write 30 minutes a day, if it's a good 30 minutes, then I'm happy and I will, I, I, I'll, I'll do it whether it doesn't matter if the scene that I wrote is good. It matters that was I focusing on it and giving it my 150%. And if I was, I close the laptop, I'm done. I'm not thinking about that again. And I move on to the next thing. It sounds like it's like a cold, sterile process, but it's really not. It's just that there's, I don't know. I always say like, you got one life. You have to make it count. There's so much I want to do in life. And I don't think that it's a bad thing or to be a generalist, right? We always talk about that in corporate America. I've heard a lot of your podcasts and talking about, you know, choosing a path and becoming a subject matter expert. And um, we put such a premium on that, right? Like even think about the way schooling is designed and like, well, my, my brother's a physician, right? It's like you go to medical school and then you pick a residency so that you specialize. And, and there's such a premium put on that. Um, and sometimes I think, you know, I don't, I don't think it's a bad thing to be a generalist. I don't think it's a bad thing to be conversational in a lot of things versus fluent in just one thing. Mm, I totally agree. And I was listening to a podcast the other day about a girl who's a lot younger than me. I'm 50 on Sunday, actually. Um, so a lot younger oh, than me. And she, birthday. Thank you. <laughs> um, and she was like, I had no intention when I set out to do my career to do one thing. There was no, it was just absolutely not what I want to do. I want you know, several revenue streams. And I think I wonder if that's just a generation thing, and my generation needs to either well needs to catch up maybe on that one, but yeah, just this whole perception is that I am good at many things. I'm not going to specialize. Is really I think it's great because it does open up the world to you, and you can try different yeah. things. And there's almost no risk in it as well because you've always got many other things to fall back on. Uh, that's a great perspective. You're so right, and and I also think it takes confidence, <laughs> you know, because sometimes. I'll, I'll use a perfect example, right? Like I, I feel like myself being one of them and I've met women that, you know, 
you're in this amateur search competition, but you're still in the competition with women who are professional models who are, and not just professional models, like successful professional models who have been doing this their entire lives and are so good at it. And their confidence comes from their experience and kudos to them. Like they are amazing. And, you know, I think it takes a lot of confidence to wake up at almost 40 and say, I'm going to try and I'm going to be in the same pool as they are. And I'm just going to go for it. Um, because if, if we start becoming comparative or letting that, letting the fact that your life took a different path where you weren't an ex expert in a, a certain area, is that going to be the reason that you don't just try? It feels like such a, such a missed opportunity. So I think there's two types of confidence, right? One that comes from the experience and, and dedicating to something. And one that just comes from if you've lived a full life or if you can, if you can find, like we were talking about, if you can find the thread through all the choices you've made and experiences you have, and you can appreciate how all of those have given you different skill sets, then I hope that you can be confident in any new adventure that you go on. So as we wrap up the conversation, what's your one piece of advice for women who are listening and like, I really want to develop my confidence? How would you advise them? It's a great question. Um, I think my advice is, it's not going to be groundbreaking, but it's something that I learned that, that you have to, and it's a thing you have to learn because our society is based on external validation, right? We are, we, from a young age, we are trained, our minds are trained to think that we have done good when we have external validation, right? Little kids are congratulated by their parents when they do something good, or you see the way they, you know, our parents clap for the little toddlers when they start walking and that it's, it's, it starts from then. It's not malintent, but, um, but, but disassociating from external validation and then becoming your biggest cheerleader. That is what is where your, the basis of your confidence is going to come. And what I mean by that is, you know, I think the reason people are so, uh, drawn to social media is because of the external validation that comes from likes and comments. And, and I, you know, I'm, I, I, I understand that I see how that works. I mean, I, uh, I experience that external validation as well. Um, but if you're working on something and you don't necessarily have to tell everyone about it, you know, fall in love with the process and not the result. And, you know, like that, and I knew the difference, like when I had first started venturing into screenwriting, telling everyone about it or sharing my writing with other folks and the rush I used to feel when they would write back and say, oh my gosh, Nor, this was amazing. Oh, this was so good. And, and then nothing came of that, right? I wasn't advancing. Um, and then I had to stop and think like, am I just doing this because that for that rush and chasing that high, or am I really doing this because I want to make a movie of this script? And when I set out to rewrite and rewrite and rewrite, I didn't tell anyone. I didn't tell anyone. I, I did not tell anyone when I started rewriting my script. I didn't even share, you know, I've been with my husband for six years. I don't think I even showed him a single page of my writing until last year. It was, it just became my thing. And I would write a scene and I would be so happy with it. And I kid you not, Vanessa, sometimes, sometimes I just open up my laptop and I read my own scenes and I get so happy. 
and I think, oh my gosh, I wrote that. No one else is giving me validation except myself. That is where the confidence comes from. So my advice is learn how to be your biggest cheerleader and learn how to give yourself validation so that you're not relying on the external validation. It will come and it will always feel nice and that's great, but don't rely on it. That, that's not real confidence. I think that's amazing advice. That is so good. I've not heard it articulated as like that, but it's ah. so, so thank you for that. Thank so you. I just, I ask some quick fire questions. I think it changes okay. it and it just reveals some different sides of people <laughs> as well. And they're, they're very tame. So don't worry, but what's one book that has changed your life? Oh, okay. This is a good one. I'm actually reading um, uh, a book written on, uh, written about my grandfather's life. And it is changing my life right now because I'm reading from an author's perspective of who my grandfather was and how he depicts his, you know, how he characterizes him and what I know of my grandfather. And it's just mind blowing to think of a situation that my grandfather told me a firsthand account of and how this author is writing about it. So it's, it, so it's literally changing my life. Yeah. Oh, I could explore so much on that one, but maybe that's for another podcast. But that's so interesting that you're reading someone else's impression of your grandfather. Yeah. Yes. Love it. And um, okay, what's your morning routine? How do you get going? Because you talked a bit about habits and your routine, but what is your morning routine? Yeah, I love this. My morning routine, um, I'll get up around like 6.30. I think like 6.30 is my morning routine. Um, and I have not mastered this yet, but I try very hard not to grab my phone and to just sit and think about the day ahead and reminding myself that if I feel a sense of dread, I have to, I have to figure out what it is before I get out of bed. I need to remove the sense of dread before getting out of bed. And then um, I, I'm very big on my self-care. So I do my morning skincare routine. I make my hot water with lemon. I meditate. Then I go do my you know, cardio for 30 minutes and I'll do Pilates. I like doing Pilates every day, like a less than 20 minute um, workout. And then I get ready and I sit down write for 30 minutes, reading my screenplay, and then I will start my work day. Wow. Amazing. Again, how do you find the time? <laughs> but so, um, It sounds like a lot of stuff, but it's yes. like, you know, it really sounds like you can get it done in like, you can get it done in like two hours. Yeah. Okay. So final question then, if you could visit anywhere in the world, where would you go? You know, um, I have been many times, but I would want to go back to India. I haven't been back since 2013 and, um, again, a topic for another podcast, but, um, you know, the landscape is changing, right? The political climate is different there and it's just changing. And I want to, I want to, I want to experience India and like, um, for all, for all of its beauty and glory, um, you know, I'm just reading about how things are changing and, um, I want to go there before things change too much. All right, cool. So, Nordjahan, thank you so much for being on the show. I've really, really enjoyed it and listening to your story. And you've given me lots to learn about and lots to think about. So thanks so much. Thank you so much for having me, Vanessa. I really appreciate it. You are actually an instrumental part of me getting to pursue that storytelling. So thank you for the opportunity. 